Good morning, Crossroads. How are we doing? So great to see you all. We want to welcome those of you in Lexington. So great to have you in Lexington. We love you guys over there. And welcome to all, all of you online. We're thrilled to have you as well. A couple big things. Uh, obviously, next week here at Park Avenue, we move to our new service schedule. Uh, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and then 5 p.m. Uh, now, we realize it's a little bit of a change from Saturday night to Sunday at 5 p.m. We understand that that's going to make everybody happy. As we try to evaluate what would be the best moving forward in this season, uh, we believe that 5 p.m. would still give us that kind of evening option as well as uh, allow us to reach more into our community. And so, uh, obviously, we always want to leave room for those yet to come to Crossroads. And so, uh, we believe that time would be best. And so, uh, thank you for your patience through this season. Uh, we have enjoyed doing five services but we are ready to be done doing five services at Park Avenue. And so we're looking forward to the new service time next week, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. Uh, and so we're, we're excited. It's going to be awesome. we got baptism coming up in August, some exciting things that are taking place. Uh, while certainly this is an unknown season, an unknown time, it is weird. Uh, we are moving forward with a lot of good ministry opportunities. God is working in and among our church, and we thank you for your faithfulness in allowing God to work through you. If you would take your Bibles out with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the seat back in front of you. If you turn with us, to page 977. If you're online, you can go right to our app and follow along in the notes. At Lexington, we have those Bibles available as well. And if you do not have a Bible, take that with you as a gift from our church to you. God has spoken. He's revealed himself. We want you to see we're going to walk right through a text. It's not going to be my word. We're going to look at God's word together today. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been looking at this series, talking about this series called Weird. And what we really have been talking about is what is our identity in Christ in the midst of a new normal? We are in a new season, a new normal. Some of us hate it. Some of us love newness. But we are in this new weird season of coronavirus and all these things that are happening. And the question is, what remains the same in the midst of all the changes in the world? And the one thing we're looking at is that God has called us uniquely and in some ways weirdly to reflect his identity to a world that's desperate, that's thirsty and hungry. To a world that's desperate for the truth, you and I are a reflection of that. And so we've been journeying through this book, the book of Ephesians. And there is no better book in the Bible that gives us what spiritual identity looks like. From the very beginning, Paul paints for us a picture that our identity in Christ is not achieved it is received. It is not something we, go, we have to do to gain, to earn. It is something given to us by the goodness of God. We saw in chapter 1 that we have been chosen by the Father, that we have been redeemed by the Son, that we have been secured by the Spirit in this relationship with Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory, that the reflection of Christ's identity is seen in those truths. And so you and I now are called to live out those expressions. This is important because in Ephesians, we're going to start talking about what does it look like to live that? How do we do that? But we have to remember and continue to remind ourselves that when we view this, when we walk through this, when we look at these truths, that what God is really saying is not that we have to live up to the gospel, but that we have to live out the gospel. 
Big difference, right? I'm not living up to something I need to gain. I'm living out of the reality of who I am in Christ. And so as we begin to journey into chapter four, five, and six, he's gonna begin to give us very practical things that we have to do as Christians to reflect the identity we already have. But it's not living up to it, it's living out of our identity. It's living out of what God has already done in and through us. We, as we journey through these chapters, last week we saw in chapter three that God has brought together Jew and Gentile, and it's to the manifold wisdom of God. This mystery that, that was hidden for ages has now been revealed, and that is that the church is the wisdom of God expressed as people from different backgrounds, different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different genealogies, different interests, different ideas come together under the body of Christ and are grounded in Jesus and reflecting him together. Now I wanna pause here as we dive in. I wanna confess to you, I, I get to coach pastors and church leaders uh, really around the country, I have a privilege of doing that, and in that I get to learn as well, and uh, I have a lot of conversations with pastors around, and one of the things that we talk about a lot is leadership. Um, leadership is, is pretty difficult. Uh, let me just say, leadership is difficult. I, I uh, started in a ministry in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and got to work under a great leader, a great pastor, and we got to watch him, and he allowed me to kind of see up close what leadership looked like, and I got to see things. I, I kind of questioned sometimes what he did, uh, not anything bad, but just why he make that decision, and why he said that, and why he did. And then I realized, after I became a lead pastor in my hometown in Maryland, uh, Maryland, that leadership was tough, and what he was doing was leading, and leading isn't always easy. Leading sometimes makes you lose, uh, right? Actually, I would dare say sometimes in leadership, you always lose. Like, you can't do anything right, right? You change the service time. Nobody likes that. You do this, right? And you start to, but you feel it's the best moving forward, and so leadership is tough, and I have the privilege of, of encouraging other pastors, and we talk a lot about leadership, and the idea of leading with integrity, leading with skill, and I go back years ago in my own leadership journey, and I remember, if, when, really, when I started in ministry, one of the things that I really struggle with is that, that I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to like me. I mean, I feel I'm a likable guy. I feel like there's a lot of fun in me. Um, and I want people to like me. And I, I feel like, you know, I try to be humble in my life. I try to live rightly. I try to honor Christ through my family and, and through the church. And, and I'm and then and what happened, as I started to lead, I realized you're not always going to have people like you. And I remember going through this leadership journey, this is back maybe eight years ago, as I was pastoring a church that was growing pretty rapidly, and I was in a season where I was like, all right, God, you're calling me to be honest. You're calling me to kind of wear my heart on my sleeve and be willing to sacrifice those who might not like it so that your name gets glorified. And you know what I found is every time I did that, every time I maybe preached a hard sermon or I talked about something that was a little bit, a little bit maybe on the line, God still grew his church. It didn't hinder the church. Uh, it, the idea of having people like you doesn't always benefit the church. And so I want to talk about something that I think is right now, it, it, is, it is boiling in my soul. Because I'm looking at the the moment we're in this season, and I just want to bare my soul for a moment to you. I realize the season we're in, it's very divided. I mean, we're not living in the United States of America. We're living in the, United, the, the divided states of America. Like, we are divided. And there are differing opinions about a lot of things. And some of us don't know where to turn. I'm kind of in the middle, like... I'm concerned with what I see. Like, right, I'm watching what's happening in California where they're saying churches can't gather. And there's a part of me that's like, yeah, you try that here. You try to stop me, right? 
And then, you know, we've got masks. And, and I look at our governor and thank, thank the Lord that our governor has never pressured churches to do any of this. And we've been very cautious to follow all that we can. But he's been very gr- gracious to churches, I would say. But I'm still watching it, right? Because there's that concern. Are, are we, they taking our freedoms away? And we live in a free country where people can't force us to do anything. And we feel that. And I feel that. And I, I agree with that. Then there's the other side of that that says, well, we need to respect those in authority. We believe that they have the best in mind. Is this really a sinful issue or not? And so there's others of us that are like, hey, I, I, I'm going to wear a mask because I feel this way. And so all of a sudden what's happening is, is we, we feel this tension in our culture. And all of us feel it. Everybody here. And there are some of you, you feel it, but how you deal with it is saying, forget it all. I don't care. Right? Anybody like that? You're just like, I'm not, I'm stopping up. I'm not watching news anymore. I'm not going on social media anymore. I'm just done. And there are some of us that are in that boat, and all of these make perfect sense in the climate we're in. Here's my problem. My problem is I'm watching this in the church world across our country begin to infiltrate and become the thought processes of the church. What do I mean? Like, I'm seeing it happen across the country, and by the way, it does overflow some in our own church. I'm just being honest, where all of a sudden we're beginning to be a bit divided, not totally as a church, but a bit divided on things like social media because we have a strong opinion about masks. Now, I want to be honest with you. Please know, I, I understand both views. I think they're both valid. I think we ought to be gracious with, the, with each other about where we come from. But are we being honest when we say that we're supposed to be a reflection of the manifold wisdom of God, that the church displays the grandeur and glory of God, that we are the showcase of Jesus Christ, and yet we want to argue over something so petty? Think about this. Now, now some, of you, some of you might say amen to that. Some of you don't like to hear that. And I learned years ago that I'm okay being that way. I'm okay being honest. And if it costs, it costs. But I wonder if this is hindering people from actually seeing Jesus Christ. I wonder if just our ideology, again, I think there's some dangerous things we've got to be careful of and we need to stand for. And we always will stand for. And I think freedom is something we should fight for. But I wonder if some of our reactions and actions and our words are not being filtered correctly. And can I tell you, as I thought about this, as I, my, the angst in me has been growing about this, as I watch people going at each other on social media and going, what are you doing? You're giving a black eye to Jesus Christ. I, I gotta be honest, I don't think there's any accident that God actually has us going through the book of Ephesians. I didn't plan that to be the case, but here we are in Ephesians chapter four at this moment, in this time, in this environment. And can I tell you, the Ephesians knew it full well. Remember, Paul was sitting in prison. Paul was in prison, and the church was wondering, what does the future look like? They were wondering, this persecution that's rising, were they going to be taken captive? And they were concerned, they were worried, and they were growing divided. And so Paul writes this letter to say, no, 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 I want to remind you of who you are in Christ. And folks, I hope we can glean from this. Listen, maybe you haven't been listening over the past few weeks, and this has been a nap time for you. Can I ask you this, this this morning, wherever you're at, Lexington, online, would you just hear these words? Because I believe they're fitting for the culture that we live and I think they're fitting for the division that we're seeing even in among Christian circles. I believe Ephesians chapter 4 is entirely fitting for the way many of us are viewing life right now. And we ought to glean from these words and hear the wisdom of God in what he is saying. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I love this. He, remember chapter 3 began in the same way. Chapter 3 began, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And now he comes back to it and says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. What is Paul telling us? Paul is saying, listen, in the midst of this circumstance where I'm sitting in prison, ultimately, I am not a prisoner of Caesar. I am not a prisoner who at the time would be Nero. I am not a prisoner of Nero. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. My chains are attached to the God of the universe. Doesn't matter what the government says, doesn't matter how they respond, ultimately I am under the sovereign hand of God and I'm sitting in prison for doing what is right and that's preaching the gospel even though I know it's illegal. I am gonna preach the gospel and no one's gonna stop me. And so I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Jesus has me here. Jesus is the one that's over this. I am a prisoner for the Lord. And then he says this, I wanna urge you. By the way, this word urge, literally parakaleo, it means to call alongside. I'm calling all of you. I'm calling the church. This is a personal and yet your urgent word. I am calling you in Christ. I'm in, it's not just encouragement. It is, I'm, I'm encouraging you, but I'm also urging you. I am urgent about this. I am urging you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, we said a couple weeks ago, that walk is pretty unique for each of us, right? That our walks indicate our identities, Believe it or not, this is scientific. It is. In fact, the U.S. Defense Department has done research on this. Uh, there's a group called the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. Uh, they're called DARPA. And they actually spent the last two years spending $50 million. Some of you will be upset by that. $50 million trying to figure out how to better recognize people in places like airports and uh, in places like businesses and in government places, you know, how can they have recognition? So we have fingerprints. We now have facial recognition. Have you ever been to going through customs after coming from out of country? There's facial recognition. But what they're trying to do now is figure out a better recognition because you can actually change facial features and your fingerprint can be adjusted a bit. There are some people that have done that, especially some terrorists have actually accomplished that. So they're trying to figure out what is one thing that doesn't change. And the thing they're studying is the idea of our walk. They're partnering with uh, Carnegie Mellon University's Robotics Institute and they are studying the walk of people. And what they're finding is that everybody has a unique walk. And so based upon the way our legs move, our hips shape, our arms adjust when we walk, that they could maybe begin to measure recognition by the way they walk. And what they're calling it is movement signature. That every one of us has a movement signature. Now I said this a few weeks ago, right? All of us have a walk that's unique. For some of us, we walk with style. What up? Yeah. Right? Others of us, we walk a little, little chest out a little bit. We walk a little more firm. Others of us, we slouch as we walk. Some of us, we, we kind of drag our feet a little bit and we walk, right? There's different types of walks. We all know that. It's, it's, it's distinct. And the government is realizing this is a way that we can begin to identify people, specifically criminals. And this is a scary thing when we talk about identity. I'm not here getting on a political campaign. Uh, I'm just saying they're trying to identify can we identify criminals' walks as much as their signatures and fingerprints and all these things? So they call it movement signature. What Paul is going to do here is he's going to say, I want you to walk, and he's going to begin to give us movement signatures. How do we as the church, the body of Christ, the wisdom of God revealed, how are we supposed to walk? What is our movement signature? 
What is the signature of our movements as the church? Notice what he says. I urge you to walk, and how he describes the walk is to say, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The word worthy here is the Greek word axios. It's where we get our word axiom. And literally, it means to balance the scales or weighty. The idea is there's something on this side of the scale, and he's saying, I want you to walk in a way that balances the scale so that people see it. Now, what is he talking about? Well, the calling to which we've been called is found in chapters 1, 2, and 3, right? In chapter 1, you've been chosen by the Father. You've been redeemed by the Son. You've been secured by the Spirit. Chapter 2, you are dead in your sins, but God made you alive. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And now you are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works. Chapter 2, the end. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, the wall of hostility, and now has brought peace with God and us. Chapter 3, and now the wisdom of God is revealed through the church. This wisdom that says Jew and Gentile alike from different backgrounds, different races, different dialects, different nationalities are now one under the body of Christ. Natural born enemies now are one under the body of Christ. And now he says, balance the scales. Balance the scales and demonstrate who you are in Christ in how you live. Live equal to the blessings that God has given you. Now, what I want to look at is the balance that we ought to have in the Christian life. Because the Christian life is a balancing match. It is. Uh, we are constantly being pulled in one direction or another. So, so the, the Christian life is a balancing match. The church is a balancing match. So what does it look like to be the church? What does it look like to balance? I want to mention three signature movements. Number one is this. Walking by myself, but also walking with others. Walking by myself, but also walking with others. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. We, we come to Christ, and we describe this relationship as our spiritual journey. Right? We say, I am on a spiritual journey, and God has began this journey with me, and he saves me, and now I'm walking a journey. It's true. This journey is a personal journey. It is your journey with God. But in the Scripture, every time it talks about our personal journey... It's always connected to journey corporately, meaning you don't just journey personally and alone, right? There are no Lone Ranger Christians. By the way, even Lone Ranger, who did he have? The Lone Ranger had Tonto. Lone Ranger would say, Tonto, go to town. What would happen? Tonto go to town. And then always, it never failed, Tonto would be out of town, and the Lone Ranger would be in trouble. And who always came to his rescue? Tonto. It's funny, when you watch the movie, it really wasn't, shouldn't be called the Lone Ranger, it should be called Tonto. He was the hero of the story. The Lone Ranger was never alone, so that's the image, right? We are on a personal journey with God, we are growing in our faith, we are learning what it looks like to be a Christian, but that always happens within a corporate reality. We are together, we are the body of Christ, we are the church. This is where the life of faith is lived out. Lived out. So it's personal, but it's also corporate. What is he telling us? Here he's telling us that you and I are called to walk in unity. To walk in unity. Now when you and I think of unity, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. First of all, for some of us, when we think of unity, we immediately think of uniformity. What do I mean? That the idea that we're all the same. But that's not true, is it? We're not all the same. Look around. We are all different. We have different stories and different makeups and different giftings as we're going to see. We are all different. Unity is not uniformity. It is not that we're all the same. Unity is also not conformity. 
Conformity is the idea that we are pressured to conform specific to specific things, that we are pressured to become. In fact, there was a study done by the Ohio State University, and they were studying conformity. This is the idea of being pressured, peer pressure. And what they did, they took 12 participants and put them in a room and had them go into another room where they laid out string. Um, and the string was at different heights and, and, and lengths. And so they would walk in there and they were, they were asked which string was longer. Before they sent each of the, the, the uh, participants in, they brought in a study group. They called them a, a kind of a management group. And they came in, there were about three of them. And they actually tried to convince, they were, they were planted there to convince the 12 participants that there was a specific string that was longer than the others, even though it was shorter. Well, guess what happened? 11 of the 12 participants who went in the room to look at the strings all chose the one that the three planted people told them to pick. Only one of them looked at the strings and said, this doesn't make sense. That's the longest one. I'm going with that. 11 out of the 12 participants went along with pressure. Young people, this is so important. This is peer pressure, right? The question is, do you go with the crowd? That's not unity. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not a pressure to conform to some given task or some given duty. So what's the purpose of unity? By the way, unity is not ecumenical unity. It's not like that Muslims and Christians and Buddhists are all alike. It's not like Christians and Jehovah's Witness and Mormons are all alike. Listen, don't believe that. That's a lie from, from our culture that says, oh, we're just all alike. We all worship the same God. It's not true. The Bible makes it clear. There is absolute truth, and when truth collides, something has to be true, and something has to be false. So it's not ecumenical unity. What is he talking about? Unity is based upon purpose. It's purpose. What is my purpose? What are we unified under? We are unified under the purpose of God. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus, in one of the most powerful prayers he prayed, prayed this exact thing. It's a small little passage in John chapter 17, and yet it's one of the most powerful prayers right before he goes to the cross. And this is what he said, John 17. It's the longest prayer Jesus prayed, but it's also probably the most forgotten. It says this, John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world, now watch the purpose, that they may be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me. Notice Jesus gives us purpose. That they may be one, why? So the world will know that you've sent me, that the church will be one so that the world will know that we are together in this mission, God, the Father, that we are together. Jesus actually says, I, I am going to a cross not just to rescue from sin, but to make the church one. Not yet the church, we don't know that, right? He's mentioned the church, but, it, but he knew, what, what comes of it is the church is the expression of, of Christ's sacrifice. We are one. So what makes us unified in our walk? If we're going to walk worthy of the calling and we're to walk in unity, what does it look like? I want you to notice two things. First of all, Paul calls us to walk in unity in our behavior. In our behavior. No, notice what he describes in verse 2. Here's how we walk in unity. With all humility. What is humility? 
Humility is setting myself aside for the sake of somebody else. Humility is true self-evaluation and true self-awareness. Humility, you can say, is the fruit of unity. Or you can say it, humility breeds unity. Humility is actually the opposite of pride. Isn't it true? Pride is what disintegrates relationships. It's not disagreement, by the way. Right? How many of you are married out there, right? You're married. You have disagreements. I mean, I had a disagreement with my wife yesterday. I had a disagreement the day before. I had a disagreement the day before that, too. Right? We were two different people. We disagree at times. Now, we don't disintegrate our relationship over, over disagreements. Disagreements are not what destroys relationships. What destroys relationships is pride. Isn't it true in the moments where I am being prideful in my marriage, all of a sudden it hurts my marriage? I disagree with my wife quite often. But we love each other. We, we learn to talk to each other. We learn to work through it. We, we learn to make sure we understand each other. And then eventually we are able to reflect a good answer of whatever it is that we're talking through. See, disagreement doesn't destroy relationships. Pride destroys relationships. In fact, Pride is the thing that can hold us back from God himself. I believe it's the key core of every sin is pride. It is that I'm going to do what I want to do and no one can stop me. And in the end, when we stand before God, our pride will be taken away because it says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So the question is, do I bow the knee humbly now or do I get humbled later? And so for you, maybe pride is hindering a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's pride that's holding you back. And you're, you use every excuse, well, if I just had more information, if I just understood it, if I just, right? The answer's there. And it's pride that's holding you back. It is pride that keeps people from Christ. Here he says, walk worthy of the calling in humility. Walk in unity. It's going to take humility. It's going to take self, it's going to take getting rid of self-absorption. Right? It's self-obsession that undercuts the opportunity to have real relationships when we are self-obsessed. So he says, walk in humility. Notice he says, he says, walk in gentleness. Unity comes through gentleness. Gentleness is not, the word here is meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is actually strength under control. It is at times I feel like I want to I strongly react. But what happens? It's under control. He says, be meek. Notice he says, with patience. The word patience is the word long-suffering. It's the idea of being patient with people, not reacting quickly. In fact, you could say that long-suffering is literally thinking before we act. Actually thinking about my reaction before I react. It's, it's, it's patient. It's being willing to think about the other perspective. He then says, bearing with one another in love. This word literally means to lift up. To lift up each other in love. There are times where instead of tearing down, we should lift each other up, right? Instead of tearing down, we actually lift up as the body of Christ. We think about ways to lift each other up, to make sure we understand each other. Humility, uh, patience, gentleness, bearing with one another. And then he says this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain. The word there literally means to cross the finish line. I am running to win the race. I am eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. The word bond there literally in Greek is, is the idea of glue. It, it's that we are glued to having peace with others. 
This reminds me of uh, years ago, I, after the big earthquake that happened in Haiti, I had a connection there, and they invited me to come and bring some people to help with resources, and so I got to go to Haiti right after they had that horrific earthquake uh, over a decade ago, I think now, um, and so I got to go, go there, and while I was there, I wanted to pick up a souvenir. My wife collects, in other countries I've been, collects these souvenirs that kind of remind us to pray for those countries, and so I found this beautiful wooden globe and it was absolutely beautiful, handmade, and it had kind of Haiti starred on it and the rest of the world. And I thought, this is a beautiful picture to remember to pray for Haiti. And so I, I bought this globe, and I put it in my luggage to bring it home. Well, you know how that works, right? You put a souvenir in your luggage to bring home, and what happens? It breaks. And so I get home, and this thing is broken, but I want my wife to see it unbroken. I want her to see it put together. And so I go out to the garage, and I get Gorilla Glue. Anybody ever use Gorilla Glue? Like, Gorilla Glue has become my new best friend. It's, it's duct tape and Gorilla Glue that I have abundance of, right? Other people are buying toilet paper. I buy Gorilla Glue and duct tape. I mean, I use it on my kids' lips. I use it. I mean, it's great. I'm kidding. Don't call the, uh, don't call social services on me. I'm just kidding. But, man, Gorilla Glue is so good. So I, I, I take it, I put a little Gorilla Glue on it, and I set it on the kitchen counter, uh, on the kitchen table, and I wait for my wife to see her gift from Haiti. Well, she comes in, and it's, she's like, oh, this is so beautiful. It's awesome. And she goes to pick it up. And you literally can watch her pick up the entire table because the Gorilla Glue seeped through the bottom and glued to the table. Like, and, and I don't know if you know, Gorilla Glue is not easy to get off. Like, it took a while to get that thing unglued, so we have this thing, this globe that reminds us to pray for Haiti. This is the word here, right? It's the idea that we are, we are the bond of peace, that you and I are glued to the reality of peace. By the way, end of chapter 2, that he has broken down the wall of separation. There is peace with God. There is peace with each other. You and I are the bond of that peace. We are the glue of the peace of God in our lives. As we interact, we see peace. So the question is, what about our behavior? Is our behavior uniform? or is it dividing? Can I tell you in the culture that we're in right now and the things we're walking through right now, there is more division than there is unity even in the body of Christ and it doesn't help the cause of the gospel. Does it? We should be, of all the people, we should be the most humble, the most gentle, the most patient, the most eager to, to, to maintain and demonstrate love and the most eager to, to, to bind peace in all situations. We should be the most peaceful. Why? Because we know the creator of the universe who is sovereign. We know what he's done in our lives. And we know that he's taken each of us on a unique journey while we go together. And so we of all people should respond to each other in the most gracious of ways. He calls us to walk in unity based upon behavior. But he also says based upon belief. See, unity is not just personal. It's not just preference. It's theological. Notice what he says. Verse 4, there is one body. There is one spirit, one body being the body of Christ. There is one spirit, the Holy Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. We all have the same hope in Christ that belongs to your call. One Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith that God has awoken in us. One baptism, right? There's only one outward expression of the inward change. It's baptism. We, we as Christians get baptized by water. We get baptized as an expression of Christ. By the way, whether some scholars will say, that, is this water baptism or baptism by the Spirit at salvation? Either way you look at it, all of us have the one. 
I actually think it's talking about water baptism, the expression, outward expression of the inward change. We have that coming up August 16th. If you'd like to know more about how you can be baptized, it is an expression of the outer change, uh, outer, outer expression of an inward change that God has made in your life. We'd love to get you connected. Stop by Next Steps here at any campus. You can stop also online and just say, hey, I'd like to know more about baptism. It is what unifies us, baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in it. Notice the words. He says, Listen, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all. Notice he doesn't mention in our belief, so there's behavior and there's belief. Notice he doesn't mention a political point. Notice he doesn't mention an ideology. Notice he doesn't mention an opinion. Notice he doesn't say, hey, how you view masks will make you one. He doesn't say that. He says... It's what we believe about what Christ has done for us. In fact, notice what he actually says here. Do you notice he says, verse 4, one spirit? Verse 5, one Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord. Verse 6, one God the Father. Do you see what's made up in those verses? It's the Trinity. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? Just as, remember Jesus' prayer? Just as we are one Father, that they may be one. What does Paul say here? As we know the Spirit, as we know the Son, as we know the Father, we are one like them. We are are living out the theology of the Trinity, which is a mystery to us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible attests to it. We can't explain it, but God is one person, or three people in one person, God. I mean, just it's a mystery, but he says, you're a reflection of that trinity. When you demonstrate and live out this belief, you're a reflection of that trinity. Can I tell you, when we lose focus of what we reflect, Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the Father, when we lose focus, every time it damages the church. People hear me. Every time we think it's this person versus me, or it's that political party or this political party, When we lose focus that this unity is all about Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it damages the church. It's not culture that is drawn to that. It actually damages what we're supposed to be. It actually hinders the gospel from going forth. I mean, I've seen it recently. I'm just being honest. I've seen it on social media. It is a black eye to Jesus Christ. It is a black eye to the church. When we use language, listen, we, when we put people down, when we, we give our opinions so strongly that we're dividing over that, like literally, this, this gives a black eye. And please, no, I'm not saying we shouldn't stand for something. Please hear me. Some of you are gonna say, well, see, Dave doesn't wanna stand for anything. No, 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 I'm standing for the gospel. Like, if you wanna die for something, die for the gospel. Yes, we need to stand for freedom. I look what's happening in California. I'm like, listen, you're gonna try to stop me from pastoring and being, right, being the church and gathering together. But we got to be careful how we respond and react because there's a lost and dying and divided world that's looking for something worthy to be a part of. Paul here says, it's us. We are the expression. When we lose focus, it damages the church. By the way, notice here, nowhere in the Bible does it say to produce unity. Nowhere does it command us to make unity happen. Unity is living out the calling by which we've been called. We are living out the calling that God has already called us to. In fact, it is our differences that make us unified. We are a tapestry of God's work. Unity is a picture 
of diversity. It is that we are different, but we're together, right? We are natural born enemies, different education, different houses, different race, different income levels, different politics, different nationalities, different accents, different jobs, and yes, even different sports teams. Here at Crosses, we have people that are Michigan Wolverine fans. I'm just being honest. That's bold. That's bold to put your hand up, but that's all right. And I've, I've learned, man, I don't, I'm very careful with that. But what happens? We're brought together in the body of Christ. We love each other regardless of our background, our, our language descent, our, our dialects. We're, we're brought together in the body of Christ. Why? Because we know Jesus. We have the same behavior. We're humble. We're gentle. We're, we're patient with each other. We, we bear. We're bind together by, with, with peace. Uh, we have one Lord, one Spirit, one Father, one baptism, one faith, right? These things are true about us. There is one thing we're a part of. This leads to the second point. Take a look with me at what he says next, verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Here's number two, and that is this. What is the signature movement of the body of Christ, the church? It is the need for ministry, but also the call to do ministry. You and I have a need for ministry to be done for us. We need ministry but we're also called to do ministry. This is where our diversity begins to be lived out. This is a, a call not only to walk in unity, but also to walk in uniqueness. You and I are greatly unique. We are called to do ministry together. We are also called to walk uniquely. Walk in uniqueness. So first one was walk in unity. This one is walk in uniqueness. We are going to walk in uniqueness. He uses here Psalm 68. He quotes Psalm 68. You probably noticed it stands out verse 8, Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is a verse that was used to praise God when they would come up to Jerusalem to what was called Mount Zion. And they would sing this psalm, and it was a reminder of the victory that God had won in Egypt and the victory that God had won in conquering the promised land. And as they would sing this song, as they came up to Jerusalem, it would be a reminder to them that God brought them the gifts of war. Right? The, the gifts of war is freedom. The gifts of war is they get to enjoy worship to God in the temple. The, these were gifts of joy. So what Paul does is he takes Psalm 68 and says, hey, there's a greater victory that God has won. Not just a victory over Egypt, not just a victory over, over Jericho and all those places in the promised land. A greater victory is that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he won a victory. He then descended into the ground, and in the ground, while he was there those three days, he then walked out of the grave, and what he was doing was securing the victory for us, the victory of life, the victory of over, uh, conquering sin and death. We have seen sin and death conquered. So he says here, this expression, Jesus came back a victorious general, general on his subjects and for his saints. He has won a victory. Now, what is that victory? I want you to notice what Paul says. How does God demonstrate his power in society? Not by some miraculous, wonder-working, dramatic display of action. Paul here doesn't say he captures the attention of the multitudes with a miracle. It's not the power of even numbers. What does he say? He says, it's by every person using their spiritual gift 
for the body of Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. Jesus went to war for us on the cross. He conquered death and the grave and sin. He walks to the grave, and the gift that he leaves, the spoils of war that he leaves us, is the gift from his spirit to serve the body of Christ. It's the greatest display of God's goodness, God's power, is that you and I now serve God together. We serve the body of Christ. And notice he gives an example of this. He says, verse 11, and he, most personally, he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. These are the foundation of the church ministry. He gave them, and notice verse 12, to equip the saints to do ministry. To equip, by the way, the word equip literally means to set the bone. You and I are called to set each other's bones. Or this was used back when Jesus called his disciples and they mended the nets. He says, you and I are called to mend the nets for each other, to set the bones of each other. How do we do that? By being equipped to serve. By using our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. Listen, every one of you here, every one of us here has been uniquely gifted by God. Everyone is here has been uniquely called by God into this body, and we are best if you're serving. We are best if you're not just receiving ministry, but you're actually doing ministry. This is an expression of God's glory. Let me ask you, are you using your spiritual gift? By the way, we have classes that help you learn this. Uh, spiritual gifts are not something we ought to be, I'm just not that, I don't have this, I don't have that. Actually, we should pursue all of them if we can. But God has given us one or two or three spiritual gifts that we're, spo- we're called to serve and we will stand before God based upon serving in them. God has called us and we'd love to help you find that. You can stop by next episode. We will help you find your spiritual gift. And if we don't have a ministry where your spiritual gift serves best, we'll make one up for you. And here at Crossroads, we give a green light. We're like, listen, we want everybody to be involved and if there's a gift we're missing, let's get them involved. Let's make sure they're using their spiritual gift for the glory of God. For some of you, maybe it's encouragement. We have people, by the way, that write notes to people all the time. They're volunteers, they serve, they serve here, and they just write note cards just to say, we love you, we're thinking about you. Uh, there's a giving, the gift of giving, compassion. There's people that are gifted in sharing the gospel. There are people gifted in teaching theology and teaching uh, 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 the biblical principles. There are people that are gifted to hospitality, and you love having people in your home and, and connecting with people. Man, we have places for every one of you. Every member is a minister. That's what Ephesians 4 is saying. Every member is a minister. By the way, I remember in high school, I played uh, the trombone. In fact, I made a kind of the all-area, all-region um, all state band kind of thing, and I got to play the trombone. And you know what? I, I remember uh, the conductor told a story uh, where there was a well known conductor who was asked the question, What is the hardest instrument to play? And of course, everybody thinks their instrument is hardest, right? Trombone, you got to you know, have this hand out and you got to do these, and you, you don't have keys you hit, that's easy. Trombone is hard. And the question was asked, What's the hardest instrument? And you know what he said? He said, Second chair, any instrument. Second chair flute, second chair trumpet, second chair trombone, second chair violin. What is second chair? Usually everybody wants to be first chair. First chair is kind of the leader of the group. But second chair plays a little bit different part, but without it, it doesn't sound right. And he says, no one wants to be second chair, right? Everybody wants to be Ernesto. Everybody wants to sing like that. Like, I mean, I wake up in the morning and just want to, I get in the shower and I try to sing like Ernesto. I mean, he's phenomenal at that, right? But we're not Ernesto. But, but he, what he's saying is, but are there, are there backups? Are there harmony singers? Are there singers that can, right? That's the image. Second chair. You and I all sit in the second chair. The first chair is Jesus, right? 
you and I all sit in the second chair and we are supporting and serving and doing the work of God, Jesus Christ, in the church as we see ourselves in the second chair. We're not trying to conquer the better chair. We're using whatever gift God has to make the beautiful piece of music that is the church. And that beautiful piece of music doesn't just come because somebody sings well. It comes because there's harmonies and there's music in the background and there's keyboards and there's drums, right? That's the image of this. You and I find this. We are equipped and eventually the body is built up. I want to end here. Notice verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of faith. So what is he building us to, toward? Until we all attain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, until mature manhood. I want you to see this. The most important thing that God desires isn't just to save us. That is the great commission, yes, to go tell. But what God wants is mature manhood. He wants to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants to mature us in Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. This is what Paul's saying. He said we ought to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when then part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That you and I would grow up. That's what he's saying. That we would grow up to maturity. Here's the point. For some of us, we have seen faith only as growing older instead of growing up in faith. Growing older in faith or growing up in faith. Listen, I came to know Christ when I was eight years old, thankfully because of a godly mother. No regrets about that. I don't have this great sin story um, I was a pretty good kid, but I came to know Jesus Christ, and Christ saved me not only from my own sin, but from the sin that I could commit without him. For some of you, you have a horror story, right? No matter how long, though, we've been saved, our salvation is not based upon a length of time. I know people that are, have been, been a believer, have been a follower of Christ for 20 years, and are still immature in Christ. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. The question is, are you growing up in your faith? Are you growing up in your faith? That's what Paul says here. He says, listen, it's growing up. We're getting mature, reflecting Christ all the more. In other words, he's saying walk upward. He's saying walk in unity, walk in uniqueness, and walk upward. Walk by growing up. He says it's time to grow up. In other words, Paul is saying take off the bib of childhood. Stop sitting on the sidelines and actually see your purpose in the world. Do not be like a child tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every social media post, every deception that's out there. He says grow up in Christ. Attain unity. He says to be a mature man. Can I just encourage you? Some of you are sitting along the sidelines. Some of you are sitting along the sidelines and you just are complaining. It's a Monday morning quarterback. No, get involved. Serve. Do. Be, be a part of what God is doing. You might say, well, this, this church isn't doing this for me, or I'm not being fed. That's fine. We'll find you a church where you can be fed. But wherever you go, you've got to get involved. You've you got to grow up in Christ. And I want to tell you, if you see something wrong in our church, let's fix it. Like, this is part of maturity. We need each other to mature in our faith. And he says, rather, speaking the truth in love. We speak truth, but we do it in love to grow up all the more. As we end, I want you to see this text for what it is. He says, the church is the only place where our diversity is what makes us unified. 
The church is the only place where being different actually makes us and brings us together under unity. We have the unifying force of Jesus Christ. He's called us, who saved us, who wrote our stories. The church is the only place where our diversity will equal unity and unity will lead to maturity. It's the only place. Diversity leads to unity and unity actually leads us to maturity in Christ. When we are unified in purpose and mind, it leads to maturity. Now, I want to illustrate this for a moment. Here's what I think Paul is saying in this text. We have not had to use an umbrella recently, have we? It has not rained for a while. We need some rain. But when it does rain, and what I remember like a year ago, it like rained all summer, and this summer, there's no rain. It's, man, this Ohio's weird like that. But what happens when it rains out? You pull out your umbrella, right? You put it up. Why? You want to protect from the rain. Now, I want to go ahead and confess, some of you, this just messed with you because I put an umbrella up inside, and you think, Dave, you're going to have bad luck. Listen, I don't believe in luck. God is sovereign. I prayed about this beforehand. I'm good, okay? I'm good. But some of you are worried. But I want you to think about this for a moment, right? When the rain comes, we put our umbrellas up and we cover ourselves. Listen, can I implore you? Listen, listen for a moment. The rain of culture, the rain of society is coming against us as Christians. There are forces trying to divide us. There are ideologies trying to pull us away. There is deception trying to take us captive. These things are happening right before our eyes. There are, is a pull. There is a rain that has come. And what Paul writes here is, listen, get up your umbrella. Put up your umbrella. Be unified. Be under the umbrella of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a place of safety. The body of Christ is a place where humility and patience and, and love and peace is poured out. Like this is the place safe. But notice he doesn't stop there. He says, and also you got to hold your umbrella. You got to get your umbrella. This can't just be me. Like I can't fit all of you under my umbrella. First of all, we would be going against social distancing rules. I would be more than willing to give you the umbrella but that's only gonna help one or two of you. But imagine if, if you had an umbrella and you had an umbrella and you had an umbrella and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all across this room, we had umbrellas. Now what happens? And now we're bringing somebody in and say, hey, come, come stand on the umbrella with me. Now all of a sudden, we are unified. We are protected together from the, the systems of the world that's trying to divide us. Listen, this, this moment where these masks and things, what it is is a work of the enemy trying to divide us. It is. It is a work of the enemy trying to get us to say different things and believe different things. And by the way, I'm not saying any of those thoughts are wrong. I'm not saying we should be weak. I'm not saying we shouldn't accept what's being done. There's somewhere in the middle, I believe, the truth. But here's the point. If you and I become the umbrella and we say, God, we're one Lord, one Spirit, one Father. We know what we believe. We're unified under belief. We're unified under our behavior. We're willing to be humble. We're willing to have peace. We're willing to, to bear love for one another. We're willing to be long-suffering and patient. We hold this umbrella out, what happens? In the midst of a culture raining down on us, the church doesn't get weaker. The church gets stronger. Until we all attain to manhood, maturity. Folks, I believe right now, more than maybe ever, we need followers of Christ at crossroads to hold up some umbrellas. We need some people to grab the umbrellas and to say, you will not, you will not divide us. You will not get in us. 
we're going to maturity. We'll speak the truth in love. We'll set each other's bones. We'll mend each other's nets. We will edify one another. We will build each other up. I'm not just talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about truth. Truth with love. Are you willing to hold the umbrella? Are you willing to help us? I believe it's needed. I believe it's needed. We have a world divided. The last thing we need is a church divided. And I'm not just talking about cross. I'm talking about every church. Every church. It's there. It's happening. Grab an umbrella. Would you stand with me as we pray? If you're here and you don't know Christ, I want to implore you. You can stop at Next Steps at every campus, Lexington, online. You can go right down to live prayer and say, I need a relationship with the creator of the universe. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again for you. Many of you know Christ. Listen, I, I just, man, this, this thing has been churning in my heart. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Listen, are you walking worthy? Are you walking balancing the scales? Are your actions matching your blessing? When I say blessing, I'm talking about the blessing of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Are your actions matching what Christ has done in your life? So that's all that matters. I had a mentor who always said this. He said, hey, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's the main thing, Christ in you. It's the main thing, what Christ has done for you. May we raise our umbrellas and say, this is a place of protection. We have each other's back. We got each other's back in this journey. God, I'm amazed, and at times I question what your thought process was when there in that upper room you prayed, Father, that they may be one as we are one, so the world may know us. God, God, I, I don't know what you were thinking to make the plan us, people, fallen, messed up. But we are your plan, and God, as we are unified in purpose, as we are unified in belief, as we are unified in behavior, as we demonstrate humility where the world demonstrates pride, when we demonstrate patience when the world demonstrates impatience, when we demonstrate peace where the world demonstrates division, when we demonstrate uh, uh, this, this gentleness where the world demonstrates strength and power, God, all of a sudden, we look different. And when we look different, there's a world that then yearns for us, that wants what we have. So God, I pray for our church. Lord, whether it's social media or whether it's private in conversation, guard our hearts, guard our minds. May we go after maturity, not immaturity. May we not be tossed to and fro by ideologies and opinions and political persuasions. But God, may we remember you are the king. You are the king and you're worthy. God, we know we have an enemy that wants to destroy us, wants to, to divide us. But God, we stand against it in your truth. May we walk worthy of the calling to which you've called us. In your name and for your glory, Jesus Christ. Amen.